Hear now the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Luke. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through town. A man there named Zacchaeus, a ruler among tax collectors, was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he couldn't because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus, who was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to that spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down at once. I must stay in your home today. So Zacchaeus came down at once, happy to welcome Jesus. Everyone who saw this grumbled, saying, He, that is Jesus, has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone, I repay them four times as much. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this household, because he too is a son of Abraham. The human one came to seek and save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. I really appreciate you taking the time to meet with me, Keith. Um, Seeing how we don't know that many people here. Not a problem. I'm glad you called. What's up? Well, being new, we don't know that many people here in the church, and uh, you seem to be a straight shooter that I can talk to. Okay. What's on your mind? It's about, it's about money. I was wondering uh, when it's time that we should really start giving back to the church. I always drop a little in the plate as it goes by, but I don't think that's enough. And... I really don't think I'm doing my fair share, so uh, I was just trying to find out what that amount might be. Do you think that uh, I know what everybody gives? Well, you're a trustee, aren't you? Bill, nobody's going to be checking what you give now or later. So how do you know if people aren't just getting a free ride? It doesn't matter. Every person gets to decide and make their own commitment. So this is... All voluntary. It's just between me and God, huh? That would be yes. I get the feeling you think that there's some magic amount that'll get you off some kind of hook. I'm pretty sure there's no magic amount, and I'm real sure there's no such thing as a hook. It's strictly between you and God. Yeah, well, I was just kind of looking for a starting point. Well, I used to hear 10%. Is that gross or net? Gross or net <laughs> is not the point. God gives us freedom to decide what makes us feel good. The only standard is we're supposed to be generous. That's it. So God is the one taking all the risk here. You might say that. And don't you think that there are going to be some folks who stiffen? Probably. So don't you think he'd get better results if there was a required amount? Yeah, but maybe that would miss the whole point for him. Okay. So what do you think, 15%? Bill, I cannot tell you what to give. You're on your own. Just sit down and decide. Keith, Keith, the bill, oh. the tip, 15%? <laughs> Y'all, I can relate to the men in this video. I can totally relate to it. I mean, I've asked those exact same questions myself. For me, giving has definitely been a journey. The very first time that I began to give regularly to a church was in my early 20s, and I was completely misinformed about why I would give to the church. I was in one of those churches that told me that if I gave, 
then it would be returned to me tenfold. It was kind of like a divine pyramid scheme. Needless to say, that didn't last very long. I did not get rich. And actually, I ended up feeling just a little bit scammed by the church. (laughs) Figuring out this giving thing is not an easy matter. That's all I'm saying. I want, to, I want to acknowledge that, that regardless of how much you have, it is not easy to voluntarily give away money. And it's definitely not easy to commit to give money to the church for an entire year, especially if you don't understand the purpose of, say, of giving. And I'm not just talking about funding a church budget, because ultimately that is not why God desires for us to be generous. I'm talking about the state of our souls. That's what's at stake. And Zacchaeus really got that. Many of us have heard this story and the song that Aaron graciously did not sing for us. (laughs) I'm not going to sing it either. Um, We've heard it so many times that this story can take on sort of a fairy tale quality, as if it's just some cute little story that we tell our kids to help them fall asleep at night. And it is entertaining, but it's also meant to be taken seriously. It carries a very sharp lesson. The first thing in this story that ought to alarm us is the description of Zacchaeus. In Luke's gospel, he's described as a ruler among tax collectors. In some translations, he's called a chief tax collector, which means he was most definitely rich. And remember, this is Luke's gospel. And in Luke's gospel, the rich have not fared well. Let's review just a minute. First of all, at the very beginning of Luke's gospel, after Mary is informed that she's going to birth the Savior of the world, and she sings that beautiful Magnificat, she lets us know that this kingdom that the Savior will usher in, in that kingdom the rich are sent away empty. And then Jesus, he's pretty clear in his most famous sermon when he says, Woe to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation. And then there's the rich landowner. We talked about him last week. He's the one whose land produced that huge crop. And rather than consider sharing out of his abundance, his first thought was to build bigger barns so he could hoard it up for himself. Little did he know that that very night he would lose his life. And then there's another rich man who's so blinded by his wealth that he overlooks a poor, starving man who sits right at his gate. That man ends up in Hades, gazing across a great chasm at paradise where he sees Lazarus lounging in the arms of Abraham. And then in the chapter right before our reading, right before our story, we have the story of the rich young ruler who's so incapable of parting with his wealth that he walks away from Jesus. Scripture says that he's very sad. And then the shoe really drops. Jesus proclaims that it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Apparently, according to Luke's gospel, salvation does not come easily to the rich. So the instant we hear Luke describe Zacchaeus as rich, we're supposed to think, "Uh uh-oh, this ain't going to be good, probably. Especially when you consider the manner in which he's gained his wealth. 
I mean, as chief tax collector, he's the one who negotiates personally with the Romans for the right uh, for the rights of the contract to collect taxes for the Romans. And then Zacchaeus, he makes his money by hiring other tax collectors to go and collect from individual citizens, building in as much profit as he thinks he can get away with extorting. So Zacchaeus was not well-liked. He participates in a tax system that is very easily and almost always corrupt. And as chief tax collector, he defiles himself by regularly interacting with Gentiles, people who aren't Jewish, and by handling their money. As he collaborates with them to oppress his Jewish brothers and sisters. So when Zacchaeus passes by, fellow Jews are likely not very kind. But then along comes Jesus, parading through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. And Zacchaeus has obviously heard about him. I mean, who hasn't heard about Jesus, right? He's that righteous teacher and healer and miracle worker, an obvious man of God. And Zacchaeus is so intrigued, so captivated by this person that he's desperate to catch a glimpse of him. I mean, that's the only possible reason why a grown man of his socioeconomic stature would do something as undignified as run in public and climb a tree. I mean, everyone who saw him must have been completely astounded by his behavior. Zacchaeus, though, is completely oblivious to any potential ridicule. Instead, he clings to his perch, neck stretched, eyes wide open, head swinging back and forth, trying desperately to see Jesus. That's all he wants. He just wants to see the man. And then suddenly, Jesus sees him. Come down from that tree, Zacchaeus. Oh my God, he knows my name. What else would he possibly know about me? I imagine that in that moment, Zacchaeus was completely freaking out. I mean, was Jesus going to just call me out in front of all these people, these people who despise me while I hang from a branch like some scruffy little boy? Oh, dear God, take me now. I imagine that's what Zacchaeus was feeling. He has earned all he can, and he's saved all he can. He's followed the first two of Wesley's three rules on the use of money, though maybe not quite in the spirit that Wesley would have preferred. Many of us have done a fair job of earning and saving, but that's not the end of the story. In fact, the first two rules, according to John Wesley, really are just a setup for the third rule. Wesley says, let not any person imagine that they have done anything barely by going thus far, by gaining and saving all they can, if they were to stop there. All this is nothing if a person does not go forward, if they do not point all this at a farther end. Nor indeed can one properly be said to save anything if they only lay it up. You may as well throw your money into the sea, not to use it is effectually to throw it away. Add the third rule to the two preceding. 
having first gained all you can and secondly saved all you can, then give all you can. This is Wesley's third rule guiding the use of money. He describes giving to God's church as the farther end toward which earning and saving lead us. And then he says, if you're wondering how to properly use money, this is the advice he would have given our friend on the video. He says, ask yourself this, can I offer up this use of money that God has entrusted to me as a sacrifice of a sweet-smelling savor to God? In other words, can this use of money, whatever it may be, will this use of money put a smile on God's face? Before the earth can open and swallow Zacchaeus, saving him from all of the humiliation that he anticipates, Jesus finishes his sentence. Come down from that tree, Zacchaeus, right now, for I must come and stay in your house today. Zacchaeus must have been utterly stunned, confused, relieved, and I imagine deeply humbled. Jesus, instead of adding to his humiliation in front of all these people who despise him, instead of publicly condemning him for his practices, Jesus extends the greatest imaginable honor. To enter into and stay at a person's home is to accept that person utterly. To endorse them even. And Jesus' public announcement that he must stay at Zacchaeus' home that day makes a claim that is easy to overlook in our English translation. In the Greek grammatical construct that is translated here as must... It's actually what's called a divine imperative. That means that Jesus's must is divinely ordained. It's by God's grace and insistence that Jesus must stay at Zacchaeus's house that day. Jesus, because God desires to inhabit Zacchaeus's home, must enter. Zacchaeus doesn't know what to do. But he is so transformed by this totally unexpected grace that's been extended to him that he publicly declares that he will very generously liquidate half of all that he has and give it to the poor. And not only that, if he's cheated anyone, he'll repay them four times the amount that he's cheated them with. Salvation has come to this house. And Zacchaeus gets it. Zacchaeus' story does read a little bit like a fairy tale. I mean, it's a story that captures our imagination because it transforms the person we think is the villain into a hero 
by means of a great love and a deep grace. It's a story that extends the promise of our own transformation because we are Zacchaeus. I think we all long to see Jesus, and maybe even some of us have gone out on a limb to do so. And at the same time, the thought of being seen by Jesus is a little bit terrifying, especially when we consider that Jesus knows our name, knows who we are inside and out, and could call us out. In my 20s, I climbed a lot of trees. I searched in many churches. I wanted to see Jesus. And I tried to do the things that I thought I needed to do in order to catch a glimpse, including give money. But it wasn't until I realized that Jesus already saw me. He had his eye on me for a very long time. (laughs) Knew me intimately and still longed to stay in my home. It was only then that I began to get it. Salvation had come to my home, and that realization began to change me. It helped me to understand that I didn't give to get, I gave because I had already received so much. So the other night as James and I were talking about what we would commit to give financially to Westlake Church this coming year, when James suggested that we increase our giving, first by one amount, and then after taking the annual total and dividing it by 52 because we give weekly, suggesting that we increase it by a second amount, you know, just a little bit, so we could round out the numbers and make it easy. I didn't flinch, at least not much. (laughs) Instead, I was able to breathe deeply. The gratitude that I have for yet another great gift, God's gift to me of a very generous and kind-hearted husband, Zacchaeus teaches us the deep reality that salvation is not merely a spiritual experience that prepares us for life after death. Salvation is way more than fire insurance, y'all. Salvation is about allowing all of the areas of our life to be transformed. It's about freeing us from self and selfishness for the purpose of awakening us to the Spirit of God that longs to work in and through us and all that we have to bring salvation to the entire world. We all know that there is no way that a camel can pass through the eye of a needle, but thanks be to God, Jesus Christ can lead all people, even the rich, into the kingdom of heaven. Amen.